If you, uh, I'm dismissing the children at this time. God bless you children, you're dismissed. Junior high, you stay in. But this morning, if, if you feel that you need the Lord to, to just strengthen you, to, to embrace you, to hold you, uh, to stand up, we want to pray for you right now. Some of you need an embrace. Some of you need a hug from Jesus. Some of you are struggling. The weight of life is extreme. And I'm not talking about just some warm fuzzies. I'm talking about truly needing God to hold you fast so that you don't fall and that you don't stumble. Father, I pray together that song about dancing with us, God holding us, twirling, being here and bringing, Lord, strength to our lives. Would you minister to those who are standing today, God who needs you, God, who need a strength and need a hope and need a message from you, Jesus. We need a word from you to stand on. We need a foundation that is sure and no more sinking sand, Lord. We stand on you, our rock, our strength, our fortress. Oh, God, hold us today. Hold us. As the minutes tick by, the hours go by, hold us. We're struggling. We need help. Beyond what anybody can do, we need God help. We need you, Jesus. Would you move? Would you send spirits right now? You're ministering spirits and angels to be released. Would you give us favor and divine appointments? Would you help us, Lord God, in all of our needs this morning? Would you heal our hearts, heal our bodies, heal our minds? We ask you for this intercession this morning by Jesus himself. And if you would agree, would you say amen? amen? Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. That's why we gather together. We gather together to worship the Lord, to hear, to exalt Him and magnify Him, but also to be touched and to be healed by Him. For that's what He secured at the cross. How many of you know that? It's sealed in His blood, amen? You can count on it, amen. I want to take you to a message this morning concerning a biblical worldview. How many of you know that this nation's in dire straits? We're in big trouble. Big trouble. And uh, we need to understand a biblical worldview. I've been sharing with you a number of messages in answering atheists, the attacks that have been coming against the Bible, Christianity, and understanding how these attacks are basically straw arguments easily set up by those who are opposing God, and there is an answer and there is an evidence found within Scripture that completely satisfies logic, reason, and the need for mankind to have God. Well, this morning I want to go a little further with understanding our position as a people in this nation at this time, and we need a biblical worldview. Now, what is a worldview? If I can help you with this, let me turn this on here. There we go. A biblical worldview. Let's get a check on reality. It's the framework of ideas and beliefs through which a Christian individual or group interprets the world and interacts with it. A worldview is your frame of reference by which you look at everything. And so a Christian or a biblical worldview is looking at the world through the lens of Scripture understanding God's 
reality in this world and adjusting our mindsets to a biblical mindset instead of a secular mindset. This is huge right now because there's a number of Christians who don't have a biblical worldview. And we need to know what reality is, the world or the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to some notion or idea that we've conjured up. We get our sense of reality from what we perceive by the world around us. But how many of you know faith is not by what we see, right? It's by what we know from the Word of God. It's a transcendent truth given to us by God. And so there's a lost world that is blind to God, but their reality is just based on what they see and feel. And that is seeping into the church. We're trying to win people in many churches now. We're trying to win people with a secular worldview instead of a biblical worldview. Because the lost don't agree on a biblical worldview. So we say as the church, oh, we'll adjust our worldview to win you. It doesn't make sense. And so the Word of God will offend because the Word of God will do eye surgery on you. It'll do heart surgery on you. And so it's going to break into the reality. And there's a real interesting thing going on right now, and that's virtual reality. How many of you see people walking around with their cell phones in virtual reality, walking at parks, walking here at the church because this is a Pokemon gym? Every church is a Pokemon gym. Did you know that? So people are gathering around churches, but in another reality. They're not looking for God. They're looking for Pokemon. So there's a whole realm of virtual reality that's being brought into the identity of people to where I think this whole Pokemon thing is an introductory step to walking in a virtual reality of not seeing the message of God written in the sky, written in the clouds, written in nature, and written in all creation. If we can get people into an altered state of reality through their, through their phones and through virtual reality, they create a new reality. How many people spend how many hours a day looking at a TV getting a virtual reality that is not the true reality? And we're not gazing enough into the Word of God to see the face of God. We're looking into the entertainment of man. So reality check, folks, it's really important, and we've got to get back to a biblical worldview. Let me help you understand what a biblical worldview is not. Number one, a biblical worldview is not merely holding to Christian morals. You don't have a, a, a biblical uh, worldview simply if you're behaving morally a lot of people behave morally doesn't mean they have a biblical moral view and there are many christians who are following a moral behavior thank god that's good but they still have not adopted a full biblical world view they're secular and sacred in many people's minds They're sacred on Sundays and maybe Wednesday nights, but Monday through Friday they're living in a secular world, but they'll behave themselves, but their mindsets are still not set on the Word of God. A biblical worldview. Oh, it's going to give me trouble, isn't it? Help me out up there, will you? Give it a click, will you, lad? Oh, let's go back. 
supposed to show number two. Well, I'll just have to say it because it's not working. A second biblical worldview is not just living life with Bible verses attached to it. You can know Scripture and not have a biblical worldview. We use Scripture like fortune cookies. We, we use Scriptures like good luck charms, like rabbit's foot, and still not have a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is not automatic just because you're saved. Paul says that you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind needs to go into a shift of what the worldview is from God's perspective. You're not adding Jesus to your life. You're giving your life to Christ. That's a major shift here. You died with Christ on that cross. You're no longer your own. You were bought with a price. That's a huge shift. So it's not Jesus is my co-pilot. If he's your co-pilot, I'm not going to be on the road with you. (laughs) Biblical worldview is not Christian reactionism. I'm against this and I'm against that. It's not what you're against. It's not what you don't like. It's how you live and how you view view the world. So let's go to what a biblical worldview is. I like... uh, Uh, what C.S. Lewis said. He said this, I believe in Christianity just as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The reason we're not walking in the dark is because the sun's shining and that sun that we believe and know is there illuminates everything else and illuminates our path. Christianity in a biblical worldview isn't just because there's a God, it's there's a God, therefore I must live this way in His reality. His reality. So that's important. Now you'd say, come on, Pastor, we all get this. But see, I have to call it a biblical worldview because I can't call it a Christian worldview. You know why I can't call it a Christian worldview? Christians don't hold to a biblical worldview anymore. We've got divisions in the church. We've got 50% of the Christian population that accepts homosexual marriage and homosexual union. And, and that's contrary to a biblical worldview. We've got churches who, who uh, hold to all sorts of, because they call Christian, have all sorts of views that no longer consider the word of God inspired or inerrant. And so I can't say a Christian worldview because you can't peg down a Christian worldview. You've got to say a biblical worldview based on Scripture and Christ alone. Amen? This is how we establish our worldview. In fact, America used to have a biblical worldview in general as a population. We were saturated and immersed in a Judeo-Christian ethic where at one time the general population believed there was a God. 80% of people say that they're Christian. We know that's not true. But there used to be a sense that the Bible is a sacred book. There is a God. Jesus Christ lived. A sinless life came. There is a devil. You can't find that in society anymore. As a matter of fact, it's only 9% of U.S. adults hold to a biblical worldview format. 9% of American citizens would pass the test on a biblical worldview. Well, they're not saved, so why would they hold to it? Unsaved people will go with the popular vote. 
and pop culture. So 9% of Americans, this is a post-Christian nation, 9% of Americans hold to a biblical worldview. And it gets worse the younger you are. It's only half a percent of those ages 18 to 23 that hold a biblical worldview. Half a percent. Half of one percent of the population 18 to 25 believe at all in any kind of biblical worldview. But hey, that's unsaved people, so we should expect that. Now the church, on the other hand, has a better statistic. 19% of born-again Christians have a biblical worldview. 19%. Just take evangelical born-again Christians out of the population, and and we really don't know what that percentage is, and then take 19% of them. 19% of born-again believers, according to Barna's research poll found in 2005, I I would hate to think what it is now. It's not gotten better. 19% of born-again Christians have a biblical worldview. So again, we can't call it a Christian worldview, can we? We have to call it biblical. That's the way within the church body that we distinguish what is the correct worldview. It's got to be a biblical worldview because we can't even agree on it as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, one man put it this way, the problem with America's Christianity today is that for the most part, it doesn't exist. Many countries look at America and they say, well, it's a Christian nation, only in name, in history, but what we export is not Christianity as a nation and as a country. What we display on our TVs and in our media is not Christian by a far stretch. And it shows up clearly in the data related to the theological views and the moral choices of people who attend churches. We've got this great disconnect in Christianity and in American churches where we say we believe one thing, but we act completely differently. We say that we believe in the holiness and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't live it. But we believe. We say we believe in living holy, righteous lives, sexually pure, not gossiping, not slandering, edifying, exhorting, and comforting one another. We believe those things, but we don't manifest them. And that's a problem. We separate the sacred from the secular. And in Scripture, there is no separation. There is none. Everything is sacred to the believer. It's the priesthood of all believers. What you do every day, every thought is to be sanctified, is to be saturated by the holiness of God's Spirit. He's been giving you the Spirit of holiness, and that's what we have, and we are vessels of that holiness. Now, this is a real problem, and I want to take you in history, and I want to help you understand something that happened in Germany. Seems interesting that everybody's going back to Nazi Germany. It's because we're ripe for the picking in the same country of the same situation. After World War I, Germany was devastated and their economy plummeted. But it was a strong Christian nation, but something happened and nationalism took over. And when nationalism took over through the Nazi party and, and rebuilding Germany... What Hitler did is he baptized the swastika in the cross. 
Though he himself not Christian, he used Christianity because he knew he could get the churches and get the people. And so the German Christians embraced many of the nationalistic and racial aspects of Nazi ideology. Once the Nazis came to power, this group sought the creation of a national Reich church that supported a Nazified Christian Germany. Do you know that out of the 1,400 evangelical churches in Nazi Germany, only 800 of them now called the, they called themselves the confessing church, only 800 out of 100, I'm sorry, 14,000 out of 14,000 evangelical churches, only 800 remained faithful to Scripture. It's only 5%. So, the church, if it doesn't hold to a biblical worldview, will be swayed to follow the politics, to follow the culture, to follow the mood, to follow the nationalism. You better love Jesus more than you do America. You better. Because I don't know if America's going to last, but heaven and earth's going to pass away, but His Word will last forever. Now, I'm not saying we want to give America away. We want to have a revival. We need to get America back to the Word of God. But we don't compromise the Word of God to win America back. Do you understand that? It is only through the Word of God that we're ever going to get anything done to bring America back. And America never reached its potential. That's for sure. We've got a past that's filled with a mess of stuff. We've never come to the fullness of understanding what the Judeo-Christian ethics should have done in the United States. And so that's our only hope. So I'm talking about a biblical worldview, and we don't want to fall into a nationalistic American church, Western church. There's only one church that the Lord Jesus Christ has. And so let's understand what is a biblical worldview. There are four key components to a biblical worldview. And it starts first and foremost with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? That is the foundational key to a biblical worldview. That this world was created by God and it did not evolve. Get technical with you, the Kalam Kalosmological argument says this everything that begins to exist has a cause to its existence the universe began to exist therefore the universe has a cause of its existence so everything that has a beginning has something that caused its beginning we know that this universe all that's physical, had a beginning. Call it the Big Bang, call it whatever. It had a beginning. Therefore, if it has a beginning, guess what it's ultimately going to have? An ending. It's finite within time and space. And if it had a beginning, it had a first cause that caused the beginning. Therefore, if it had a cause, it has a purpose. And purpose gives identity. And so... Creation has a purpose and an identity. 
Therefore, man is created in God's image. We are not some evolutionary process. We're not some molecular mistake. We didn't evolve out of something and we're simply molecules maintaining an existence. There is a beginning. And if there's a beginning, there's a purpose to this beginning. There's a function to this beginning. There's a glory and a design to it. And you were created with a purpose and a design. Now that's huge in a biblical worldview because we respect all living things and we respect all people because they're created in God's image. And so we hold these principles self-evident as in our founding documents declare. All men are created equal. And so we see that based on a biblical worldview that there is a creator and he made all things. And we must hold to that. But for years now, we've been teaching children they're simply a biological piece of meat. They're no different than any other animal, and they just exist. And so the respect for human dignity and caring one for another is failing horribly. And morality is failing because if there is a purpose and if there is a God who created all things, then there are moral absolutes of right and wrong. But if this is simply an evolutionary process, a biological happen, happenstance, then there is no moral absolutes. It's survival of the fittest. It's a dog-eat-dog world. And so a biblical worldview is essential. Well, man, don't put your morality on me and don't legislate it. It's the best form of understanding the dignity of mankind and caring for one another. You may not have to believe in a God, but most atheists and most people still adhere to Christian ethics because they know in a society it works best. But they're trying to overturn all that. So this is a problem, but this is our first aspect of a biblical worldview. Let's take the second aspect. The fall. This tells us why there is evil, sin, and death in the world. This is the definition of evil. And this is what trips up so many people. If God is so good, then why does he allow bad things to happen? Well, the fall explains that. Bad things happen because of the free will of man. The rebellion of man's own heart and choice to serve self over God is the reason we have this problem with evil and sin. Theodicy is the theological description of God's goodness and omnipotence in view of the existence of evil. We've taken what God created in perfect design and in beauty and we've trashed it. And now we've brought the power of sin and death upon it and that's what causes the calamities of wind currents and tornadoes and and tsunamis and all the problems of the shifting in this earth and the atmosphere, sin and death came in on it and all of creation groans. Groaning because of what we brought into this creation. And this is best understood through a biblical worldview as to why there is death, why there is disease, why there is evil. Because we're in a fallen world. But God can redeem a fallen world. And that's our third essential point of the biblical worldview, that God so loved the world, He gave His Son, the only begotten, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
And it is through the redemption of the cross that God purchased the redemption of all creation. John wept when he saw that there was no man who could take the scroll of all creation and open its seven seals. But the angel said, Weep not, John, for the lion of the tribe of Judah can unseal the land deed to all of creation and redeem it back to the Father. And when he looked to see that lion, he saw a lamb as slain on the throne of God. It's the cross. It's the cross. That is the remedy and the solution that will bring back God's order to design and order of creation and our salvation and redemption from a fall and from us being under the the depth of sin and death and redeem us. But it ain't over there. How many of you know that? And that is hope comes. Hope comes with the full restoration. And in a biblical worldview, we believe that there is a God who created all things. There is the fall that man brought sin and death, but Christ brought redemption and salvation. And ultimately, God is going to restore everything back to His purposes. Hallelujah. That brings hope in a fallen world. The cross brings hope and salvation and love. God injected love back into this universe through Christ His Son, which brings us a hope of an eternal life with Him. And ultimately, justice for all the evil and human depravity that we brought to this world. And there will be a judgment. And all things will be made right. Now, this is a biblical worldview. Now, you'd say that's Jesus 101. That's Christianity 101. This is not being taught in the churches today. And again, only 19% of born-again believers follow this. So, folks, we've got to get our frame of reference right We've got to orient ourselves. And so when you look through this frame, you've got to look at everything through the world through the sense of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's how you make your choices. That's how you make your decisions based on a biblical worldview. The minute you look outside of it to make your choices, you're separating into a secular and sacred reasoning, and it will not work. You can't be in and out of the kingdom. You have to understand what God wants to accomplish in His people and how we're to have a biblical worldview. Let me just give you some ideas and some understandings of how important a biblical worldview is. So let's take a look at simple question. What is a human being? Take your frame. What is a human being? And look through the biblical worldview of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so Christians, when you look at other people, what do you see? Do you see races? You shouldn't. Race is an evolutionary concept, an idea. We're all One people of one blood, Acts chapter 17 says. One people of one blood. We don't judge. In him there is no Greek nor Jew, 
Male nor female. Slave or free. We're one people. Now those are saved people. How do we look at lost people? As people created in the image of God. And that God loves them. And His desire is that none should perish but all come to repentance. And the only difference between us and them is God opened my eyes. And He's using you to open theirs. This is huge on how you make your decisions for caring for people and a society. Let me ask you another question. What about what is right and what is wrong? Do we need to know what's right and wrong? We make laws, don't we? Right and wrong against human lives. Is there a dignity to human life? Or if we don't want them, how about we just kill them? What's wrong with killing people? Why don't we just get rid of people we don't like? We do that now. Don't pretend. Don't fool yourself. It was all the way up until the 70s that they were uh, still uh, continuing to um, uh, force sterilization on certain people. African Americans were were targeted. Why do you think all the where all the abortion clinics are? Come on, folks. What what do you think's going on here? Where what about right and wrong? Well, if there's no right and wrong, uh, ask Margaret Sanger. Her belief was to uh, make sure that. Uh, Uh, Only superior races existed. And guess who adopted that philosophy? Nazis. Hitler loved the writings of the early Americans uh, uh, concerning the issue of eliminating races and developing a purer race. And so, I mean, where's your biblical frame of reference? And why not kill babies if you don't want them, if they're an inconvenience? They're only a biological byproduct. We can get rid of them. We're up to 50 million now. 50 million since Roe v. Wade that we have killed. But it's okay because who says what's right and wrong? Well, in a biblical worldview, God is the one who tells us what is true, what is moral, what is right, what is sin, what is correct, and what is not. It's not based on society. It's not based on human law or government, it's based on the Word of God. Are you with me or not? Or are you going to get swept away with what's legal or not legal? And what determines the laws? What about holy sexuality? Why not just have anybody who loves anybody do whatever they want. Why do we restrict marriages? Why do we have marriage laws? I mean, if you love, love is God. Love is love. But in the balance of a biblical worldview and a created order for the sake of society and for redemptive purposes, you need to understand what is morally right and morally wrong and what is for the best health of a society and for the sake of family which is the nucleus of any society. If you've noticed right now, our families are absolutely decimated. We don't even have family structures much anymore. 
I wonder why. Sexual immorality has just busted apart families. Is anybody waking up yet to this stuff? While all this is being shifted from a biblical worldview, and the church is not even real, 19% of the church is going like, oh, whatever, just Jesus is love. Just love everybody. Jesus is love. I don't like to argue. Jesus wouldn't argue. He's so nice. <laughs> and I don't understand God in the Old Testament. He's so mean. What about state and religion? Well, if that's what our political leaders say, maybe that's what's best for us. Religious tolerance, hate speech. Wouldn't be surprising to me if another year and a half for the things that I'm saying this morning, I would be arrested and I would be deemed as hate speech. It won't be long before the uh, government is going to make it illegal for me to not marry homosexuals. I'm going to be demanded to marry homosexuality or, or my, our 501c3 tax status will be taken away. Take it. Take it. But I'll stand on this. Amen? Amen. I'd rather be biblically correct than politically correct, right? Amen. We might have to meet in a field somewhere. Are you going to meet me? Yeah. All right, that's no problem. That's no problem. What's the meaning of human history? Well, the meaning is that we're moving into another evolutionary scale and jump. We are becoming smarter. We're becoming more sophisticated. We've got better creations and better inventions than ever before. Then why is it in the last 100 years under an atheistic, godless society, we've had more killings worldwide than any other time in human history? Why is it we have more starvation on the planet now than we ever did in human history? Why is it we have more totalitarian governments now than we ever had in human history? If we're so special and becoming more uh, sophisticated in our evolutionary thinking, why is everything worse than it ever has been before? Because we've left the framework of a biblical world view. What happens after you die? This is something everybody kind of needs to know. No one's getting out of this. We cannot be a chosen people who continue to choose wrong. Because God took a chosen people and he put them in Babylon out of the land because they would not follow his worldview and what he said was right and correct to follow. And God has no problem having judgment start in the church. He's going to clean house first because he's got to clean the lens of the flashlight or the light. We're the light. We're the salt. And he needs to make sure it still has its savor. And so he's going to come into the church and inspect whether it reflects him or not. As he said to Laodicea, I'm going to bench you, I'm going to put you out and snuff out the candle because I don't want a bad representation of who I am. Amen. And so we need to stay pure yeah. and we need to walk right. So we need to make sure that we are really standing in a biblical worldview. Of all people, George Orwell said this, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. 
So as Jesus said, you better get ready. If they hated me, they'll hate you. We are in a very unique situation where right now the tide of the entire nation, its thinking, its reasoning, has gone so far askew from a biblical worldview that truth is now relative and you cannot find uh, transcendent truth in anyone's concept except those who believe in a biblical worldview. And so truth is completely relative. Your truth is for you, my truth is for me, and that is illogical. It doesn't make sense. It's absurd. And so we've got alternate ideas, alternate universes, alternate this and that. And so when we as Christians speak up and say, this is wrong according to the Word of God, this is what is right according to the Word of God, this is what's going to happen in human history according to the Word of God, we will be hated and we will be called out and separated. And you know what? That's a good thing because that's called being sanctified. And if we're not going to sanctify ourselves with God, He'll use the world to get us separate. Now let me just say something because uh, uh, we're in a place where we have got to figure out what to do in this election that's coming up. And uh, I have a problem voting of the lesser of two evils because that's just voting evil. I don't know how to put it any other way. So let me offend all of you equally. I'm not voting for Hillary and I don't like her and I'm not voting for Trump because I don't like him. I think they're both poor examples of any representation of a biblical worldview. I don't care how you twist it, how you comb it, you're not going to get a biblical worldview out of these two. So that's not the issue. What you really need to understand is what's going to happen in February of 2017. And that's the issues of the Supreme Court justices. So let's look past these candidates and let's figure out what we can do to make sure we're going to have some semblance of a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview speaks to every aspect of life, from economics to relationships to politics to war. It began before creation and it ends up right back to the throne of God. This gives us a worldview of stability, security, hope, dignity, love, glory. All that we do out of this life is sacred. There's no secular and sacred to the biblical worldview. We do all things to the glory of God and therefore become the most valued worker at our jobs, the most reliable, the most honest because we hold to a biblical worldview. Ultimately, a biblical worldview should produce fruit that lasts and benefits our community, our family, our friends because a biblical worldview is Christ in us, the hope of glory. I say all that because this, the next president will select between two and four justices who will reign over the cultural issues of our nation for the next 30 years. The average Supreme Court judge serves 26 years. In the next 30 years, what happens in this election is going to have an incredible impact on our children and grandchildren. The impact most important issues of our nation are with the Supreme Court than anything else that will happen in this election. So if I could help you, church, you make your decision, you look at the platforms of where they want the Supreme Court to go in their decisions, aligning it with a biblical worldview. 
Well, who is that, Pastor? You do the work. You do the work. Don't get caught up in the foolishness of this personality cult. Look past who the, the puppets are and try and find in these two platforms where we're going to get some semblance of a biblical worldview. You're not going to find it 100%, that's for sure. Both parties have already strayed, and they don't follow a biblical worldview, neither of them. So let's not pretend, okay? Don't paint it some kind of Christian color. Understand what I'm saying? But what can we do to preserve as much of a biblical worldview in our government as possible? You need to do the homework. And it is key. And I want to tell you something else. Truth, it's the new hate speech. During times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. How many of you are willing to speak the truth of God in love? You're going to be revolutionary to do it. You're going to become absolutely hated for speaking the word of God. It is going to cut against our culture, our politics, your neighbors and your friends. But they are lost and they are blind and they are going to hell and they need somebody to speak the truth. Don't be afraid and don't be silent. This is the finest hour for the church to shine. And so we need to speak up. I close with this final last quote. New York Times writer, and he's an agnostic, Nicholas Kristof, writes this. Through his reporting and what he has seen, he says, Christians, and he says, mostly evangelical Christians, are consistently the first to arrive at disasters and the last to leave and the most generous whenever it comes to poverty, disaster, disease, or any other horrific event. That is correct. And that is the body of Christ. And that is because we hold a biblical worldview. We will go where there is a problem and where there is suffering and where there is evil because we're the light in the darkness. We're the salt to this thing. We don't care about our lives. We care about saving someone instead because we know where we're going and we will give to help a brother. We will give to win the lost. We will do whatever we can. And that is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of redemption, the spirit of biblical world view and that's what we must hold to better than ever amen Amen. are you with me amen amen and amen let's stand this morning together and let's ask god to minister through us